message, Make Good Use of Your Time. And I want to begin it by going right to the scriptures, looking at Psalm, uh, the 90th Psalm, verses 10 through 12. I believe the passage will be on the screen behind me. I'll read and you can follow along as I do. Here's what we find. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That is a sobering passage of Scripture. And it is meant to be sobering. Allow me to highlight just a few things from uh, Psalm 90 here, these, these verses. First, let me highlight a couple of things that aren't really our main focus. One is actually a little bit of an aside. Uh, the other is relevant to what I'm talking about today, but, but isn't primarily what I want to emphasize. Verse 10 says that even the best years have trouble and sorrow. And it's absolutely true. I'm guessing that if we were to survey the congregation today, we would find uh, that, that your life has proven the truthfulness of verse 10. Life's wonderful. Life is beautiful. But it is full of trouble and it brings a good deal of sorrow to us. There's no doubt that each year uh, brings trouble. And, and most years... Uh, we probably deal with some form of sorrow, maybe to, to varying degrees, but, but each year typically has something happen that emphasizes to us again that sorrow is a regular part of life. Now, in spite of our great familiarity with trouble and sorrow, I've noticed a tendency in myself, and I'm guessing that this is probably true for you as well, and that is that most of us treat troubles and sorrows as if they are something exceptional, something that's odd, something that's unfamiliar, something that shouldn't have any place in our lives. I, I found myself through much of my life, just being honest, being pretty internally angry uh, about all the difficulties and troubles in life. I, I found myself very frustrated that even in the best seasons of life, there was almost something happening, running parallel with the good things in my life, that was messing it all up. You've, you've noticed this. And so I struggled with this greatly, and I struggled like this until I ran into a really simple thought. It's so simple that I'm almost hesitant to share it with you today. Uh, it's, it's a really simple thought, but it helped me a lot. I, I'm not saying that it suddenly put me completely at ease about troubles, but it did help me a lot. And here was the simple thought. Troubles aren't exceptional. Troubles are normal. Troubles are normal. I was reading, a, I, I think it was John Maxwell, but I, I can't be certain where I read this. Uh, but, but it was just this simple thought, troubles are normal, so just treat them as a normal part of life. 
And so I encourage you today, if you're like I described myself, embrace this simple idea that troubles are normal. They're always going to be a part of life. They're not exceptional. And see if just that little adjustment in your thinking can be helpful to you. You know, it's for me, it's been the difference between sort of like, well, I can't believe this is happening, to, oh, well, I've seen this before. <laughs> I just get up and keep doing what I do. And so it can be really uh, helpful. The second thing that I wanted to highlight to begin is tied very closely to our focus. It just isn't the main emphasis, and it's what we find in verse 11, which tells us about something that offends 21st century ears, but it is true today, uh, just as it's always been true. The wrath of God is a terrifying thing that should cause us to not take God lightly, but to give him the respect that he's due. Our God is merciful and loving and gracious. He's provided a way for sinful people to be forgiven and to live forever with him. But we must never forget that someday the Bible tells us the wrath of God will be revealed against hard and unrepentant hearts. And that is going to be a terrifying thing. God is not to be taken lightly. It is the fool who says in their heart, this is the Bible, not Brian, it is the fool who says in their heart, there is no God. And I would submit to you that it is also the fool who says there is a God, but lives as if there is not a God. And that is actually tied quite closely uh, to something else that I want to highlight from Psalm 90. We're told that the number of our days come to 70 years. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I just turned 50. But every time I whine about that, I think of some of the rest of you. I'm like, well, well. Seventy is really close for some. Thankfully, it goes on and says, or 80, if our strength endures. But then it tells us that those 70 or 80 years pass quickly, and then we fly away. Fly away. The psalmist lets us know that even the longest life is a really short amount of time. And he offers that insight leading us to verse 12, which says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. The psalmist is essentially saying, remember the brevity of life and don't waste it. Don't waste it. Consider what a brief amount of time 80 years is and spend that time living by godly wisdom. That's what he's telling us. Life is short. And at the end of it, we stand before God. So sober up. 
and use your time well. This is what the psalmist is telling us. I will admit to you that since turning 50, I'm sorry I keep droning on about this, but since turning 50, I've been a little too hung up on the brevity of life, which isn't good. My friend, Pastor Tom Paquette, who is quite advanced in age from myself, I was whining to him about this one day, and he's like, Brian, you are spending entirely too much time thinking about this. Just get up and live your life. And it's good advice. Obsessing over the passage of time and the brevity of life is not what God wants for us. That's not what Psalms is telling us. But God does want us to understand that time is precious and it should be handled with care. The limited amount of time we get on this earth is meant to focus our minds on using that time well. Spending it on things that wisdom approves of. Spending it on things that God approves of. Spending it on things that are good and productive and healthy and life-giving. Time is precious and should be handled with care. We should number our days so that we gain a heart of wisdom. Are you mindful of time? Are you mindful of the number of your days? Do you understand, do we understand what a gift life really is? Do you understand that 70, 80, and thankfully some of us live to 90 or or beyond? Do you understand that 70 or 80 or even 90 years is still a really short amount of time? Do you number your days so, you, so that you spend them in ways that wisdom approves? And now I want us to look at Proverbs 6, 6 through 11, which uh, makes much the same point, but in a different way. And here's what these verses tell us. Go to the ant, you sluggard. I'm just reading what it says. I'm just reading what it says. Go to the <laughs> Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Here's the basic message we need to receive from these verses. We must make good use of our time so that we can avoid the pain of regret. When we sleep, instead of giving attention to the things that need our attention, poverty will be our lot. Scarcity will overpower us. Now, Proverbs has material uh, poverty in view in these verses, But the principle applies to all aspects of life. Uh, Certainly, if we don't work, we're going to experience the regret of material lack. If we don't take care of our health, we may experience the regret of poor health. If we don't take care of our relationships, they may end up broken. 
And we'll deal with that kind of regret. If we don't prioritize our families, we can reach the point where there is a lot of regret attached to our family life. And of course, when we don't uh, prioritize and put effort into our relationship with God, that always leads to regret. And we could go on and on and on uh, with the way that principle applies to so many different areas of life. Time is precious. And so it has to be handled with care. We should number our days so that we gain a heart of wisdom. We have to make good use of our time so that we avoid the pain of regret. As I look back on my life, honest evaluation leads me to the conclusion that I did not make very good use of my 20s. Now, I don't think I'm alone in that. But I did not make very good use. It's not that I didn't do anything positive in my 20s. I, I did some positive things. But they definitely were not spent in a way that wisdom would have led me to spend them. <laughs> we feel your pain. <laughs> we feel your pain. I simply didn't make the best use of my time during that decade of my life. And in some ways, even to this day, I face consequences for failing to have used that time with the care that it deserved. Now, God is gracious. He allows us to move on from our mistakes. He allows us to get free from the condemnation that tries to, uh, to overtake us. He, he does all of that for us. But wasted time is a tragic thing because time is so precious. And when we waste it, there are usually consequences attached to that. It deserves more care. It deserves more care. Friends, God wants us to value this gift of life he's given us enough to spend it in wisdom-approved ways. And God wants this for us because God desires for us to live abundant lives that are marked by peace and joy instead of regret. And so I encourage us in 2020 to give ourselves to gaining a heart of wisdom, to make good use of our time, so that this won't be yet another year that we look back on at the end of it and experience the pain of regret. And toward the goal of making good use of our time, I have a few suggestions that I'd like to make today, a few things that I would like for us to consider uh, together today. First of all, I want to identify some wisdom-approved uses of time, okay? Now, there are a lot more of them than what I'm going to share with you today, uh, but here are some broad categories, uh, some of the more important ones in my view of wisdom-approved uses of time. A wisdom-approved use of time is spending time on your relationship with God. There is no more important use of our time than cultivating our relationship with God. A wisdom-approved use of time is work and providing for our families. We were created by God to work. Now, it is true that the fall... Adam and Eve's, you know, 
little mistake that threw everything into chaos, which we all would have made if we were in their place. It's true that, at least I believe, that made work a lot more difficult than God had originally designed it to be. But work predates the fall. We were created to work. It is a wisdom-approved use of time. Work is not something that's like, well, that shouldn't have to be a part of life. No, we were created to work. A wisdom-approved use of time is spending time with family and friends. The two greatest commandments are what? Love God, love people. So spending time with others is wisdom-approved. Developing relationships, supporting each other, experiencing the joy of companionship. These are all wisdom-approved uses of time. A wisdom-approved use of time is rest and relaxation. Getting enough sleep is a wisdom-approved use of time. In the United States, we tend to glorify the person that's so busy that they don't get enough sleep. That is a horrible and ridiculous thing to glorify. Rest is God-ordained. It is a wisdom-approved use of time. Relaxing is a wisdom-approved use of time, which can encompass a variety of things, including entertainment, leisure activities. These are all wisdom-approved uses of time. A wisdom-approved use of time is serving. Serving. I uh, distinguish this from working in that, uh, at least for our context here, uh, with serving, I am taking out a profit motive. And this is just, these are just things that we do. We're not we're not trying to earn money. We're just giving of our time and talent and energy for the good of others. Serving is wisdom approved. Being involved, serving within the ministries of the church is a wisdom approved use of time. Volunteering with the PTA is a wisdom approved use of time. Serving in your neighborhood association is a wisdom approved use of time. Anything that we can do for other people in the name of Jesus is a wisdom approved use of time. A wisdom-approved use of time is caring for our bodies, caring for our health, taking time to exercise, taking time to prepare, prepare meals that improve our health rather than rushing meals that compromise our health. You know how much easier it is to throw some little frozen white castles in a microwave than it is to like wash and clean and cook a bunch of vegetables. It's a lot easier. It's a lot easier. How many of you like those little frozen white castles? I love them. How many of you like the real ones? Wow. Not near as many of you as I would have expected. So here's the thing though. With just these six wisdom-approved uses of time, these broad categories that I've mentioned, we already have a lot on our plate, don't we? We're already at risk of being too busy. It is really easy to engage in wisdom-approved activities in a way that wisdom does not approve of. 
I'll say that again. It's really easy to engage in wisdom-approved activities in a way that wisdom does not approve of. Let me give you an example or two. One way we do this is by pouring all of our energy into one wisdom-approved activity to the exclusion of all the others. Now, I doubt that my first example is actually a problem anybody has. But as important as it is to spend time with God, if you are doing that to the exclusion of time with your family, then that wisdom-approved use of time now has wisdom disapproving of you. Here's one that's more likely a problem for some of us. If you're engaging in the wisdom-approved activity of work to the detriment of the wisdom-approved activity of rest or time with God or time with friends and family, then that wisdom-approved activity has now become wisdom disapproved. So let me share three things that can go a long way toward helping us make good use of our time. Three things that will allow us to manage our wisdom approved activities so that they maintain the approval of wisdom. Here's the first one. It is really important to establish a rhythm to our lives. A rhythm to our lives. Another way of saying this is that we need to plan our lives in such a way that each of our wisdom-approved uses of time actually get some of our time. We need to organize our lives so that everything God wants us to do, everything of which wisdom approves, is on our schedule and actually gets the attention that it deserves. Now, I'm not asking anybody to like identify yourself with what I'm about to, to reference, okay? But there are some people who seem to pride themselves on not being organized. Not having a schedule. Being a free spirit and just doing whatever Whenever. And the advice I have for such people is the advice of the great counselor Bob Newhart. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. I'm not suggesting we all have to be organizational superheroes, I'm not suggesting we all need to be efficiency experts. But we all do need to establish a rhythm to our lives, a schedule to life that includes all the good things, all the wisdom-approved things that deserve our time and attention, a rhythm, work, and rest, time with family, some leisure activity, and on and on it goes, a rhythm to all of that. And so I encourage you, if you don't already do this, this week, sit down. And write out all of the wisdom-approved things that you feel like God is calling you to spend your time on. 
things that are pleasing to God, things that are going to help you avoid the pain of regret, list them all out. And then write out a plan how each of those things are going to get the time they deserve in your day, your week, your month, your year. Now, some wisdom-approved things need to be a part of our daily rhythm of life. Time with God and rest are two examples. Some things it might be okay for those to be a part of the weekly rhythm of your life. Serving would be an example. Being here together this morning would be an example. Um, you know, something like exercising might not need to be a daily thing, but maybe it shows up a few days uh, a week, but it's part of the, the rhythm of your life. Some things only need to be a part of the monthly rhythm of life. You know, maybe connecting with, with uh, friends or uh, different types of social uh, things might, might be a monthly rhythm. Some things would be a yearly rhythm. You know, the rest uh, of a vacation. You know, that's a yearly rhythm type thing. Maybe for those of you who are married, a weekend marriage seminar that you would say, hey, that's just going to be a, a part of our yearly rhythm of life. We're going to do that. Or every couple years, that's going to be an every two year part of the rhythm uh, of our life. But the, the idea here is to map out a rhythm. Really, it's just a schedule. But the schedule creates a rhythm to how you spend your life. There's work, and then there's rest, and then there's time with God, and then there's time with family, and it all just kind of flows. Except for the shortest of time periods, and when there is absolutely no way it can be avoided, there should never be a time in your life when you're focused exclusively on one wisdom-approved activity. That's how wisdom-approved activities become wisdom-disapproved activities. So establish a rhythm to life. Here's the second thing that enables wisdom-approved activities to remain that way. Prioritize the things that matter most. All wisdom-approved things are not of exactly equal importance. They're important, but they're not all equally important. Leisure time, times of waking relaxation, those are very important. Not as important as time with God. So time with God would get everyday priority. Leisure time might get twice a week priority. Or maybe leisure time does need to be a daily priority for you, but whereas the priority of work is going to get eight hours of your day, leisure time might get 45 minutes of your day. So establish priority. Time with family may be a daily rhythm uh, of being together every night, whereas time with friends outside of your own home might be a weekly or a monthly part of the rhythm of your life. The point is to write down all of the wisdom-approved activities in your schedule. It's to get them into your schedule. But to realize that everything wisdom-approved does not get equal time, so we have to prioritize the most important things. So to make good use of our time, we establish a rhythm to life. We prioritize things that matter most. And here's the third suggestion. Create a personal growth plan. 
You don't like all the work I'm giving you, do you? <laughs> Create a personal growth plan. Basically, you list out all the various areas of wisdom-approved uses of your time, work, family, church, friends, rest, education, whatever it is for you. You list them all out, and you establish goals for yourself in each of those areas. And then you commit to daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly take steps that will allow you to grow toward the accomplishment of that goal in each of those respective areas of your life. You write down the steps you can take to achieve the goal that you have set in each area. You work your personal growth plan into the schedule of your life. You make it a part of the rhythm of your life. You plan your time and then you just do it. You just do it. Now, at the risk of sounding like I'm starting to just throw random suggestions against the wall, uh, here's one really good piece of advice that I heard one time. And um, I've practiced it some, but intend to do it more consistently this year. Take your personal growth plan, and in each of the areas, commit to do Five things a week that will help you get closer to your goal. Or, or depending on the priority you've placed on something, maybe it's you're going to do five things a month, or maybe it's going to be five things a year. Again, depending on the level of priority that thing has. But commit to do five things each week or month or year toward that goal. Here's the point. Small commitments, small steps consistently taken over long periods of time, bring about big results. Take the small steps that will lead you to the accomplishment of the big goal. Here's what most of us, I think, tend to do. We tend to not do any of that. And we're convinced that what's going to happen is we're going to get to our goal by some short period of time where we exert maximum energy. And most goals are not achieved that way. They're achieved small steps at a time over a long period of time. And so commit to do that. When we use our time on wisdom-approved things, when we establish a rhythm to those things, when we prioritize those things, when we commit to a plan of growth in those areas of life, all of these things go a long way toward using our 70, 80, 90 years in a way that will enable us to look back on our lives without regret. Confident that we use life in a way that properly respected God and the precious gift of time, life, that he gave us. Now I want to mention a very specific and incredibly important way that we all need to commit to make good use of our time. I've, I've referenced this a lot in recent times. This year, it showed up a lot uh, last year. It's really important. And here it is. We need to stop being hearers only and start being doers of the Word. I mean, aren't you just tired of that? I'm tired of it in my life. I don't want 2020 just to be another year where I hear and I nod my approval and then I go live like I didn't hear. 
Here's what James 1, through 25 say to us. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I think most of us are in the same boat. One of the most significant ways that we fail to number our days and gain a heart of wisdom, one of the most significant ways that we don't make good use of our time and bring regret into our lives, is that we continually hear the Word of God, we nod our approval to the Word of God, but then we go live as if we never heard it, failing to actually do what we heard and said that we agreed with. There are many applications for this message, but there is no more important application of numbering our days and gaining a heart of wisdom than becoming people who both hear and do the Word. This is the path of wisdom. Doing what the Bible says. This is the path to a life free from regret. Doing what the Bible says. This is the path to life well lived. To a life marked by peace and joy. Doing what the Bible says. Being obedient to the Word of God. Putting it into practice. Actually doing it. So let me apply what I've shared today in a very specific way. And it ties to what we've been talking about so far this year. It is going to take a commitment of time to get closer in 2020 to God, to each other, and to the lost. The things that we dealt with in the last series and that are going to be a year-long focus for us, these are all wisdom-approved things. These are things that people commit to when they have numbered their days and gained a heart of wisdom. These are things that make such good use of our time that they enable us to get to the end of life and look back on it free from the pain of regret. And so I'm appealing to us today to be doers of the word in these three commitments that I've presented to you this year. I feel satisfied that over the past three weeks we saw from the word of God the importance of our need to draw closer to him, to draw closer to each other, and to draw closer to the lost. I was not just sharing my opinions these past three weeks. Each of these topics I shared what came from the Word of God. And so please, for your own good and for the good of others and out of respect for God, commit to moving beyond only hearing. Commit to being a doer in getting closer to God, to each other, and to 
the lost. Write these things into the rhythm of your life. Prioritize them in the way that they deserve to be prioritized. Write them into your personal growth plan and then do what you have said you believe. Amen, Brian. I believe it was David who said sometimes you just have to encourage yourself in the Lord. So there you go. That was me. Encouraging myself in the Lord because none of you did so. All right. You don't? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> this is the way I get laughs and amens. Whining. That's, that's, the, way I, that's the way I get them. Listen, you don't have to do everything at once. You can take a step at a time. But commit your time to actually doing the word that you've heard. Commit time to getting closer to God, each other, and the lost. So I want to conclude today by giving three suggestions of time commitments you can make in each of these areas. These are the first suggestions of many that are going to be shared throughout the year as we seek to get closer uh, this year. For getting closer to God, I have a book recommendation, okay? This is a fantastic book that would aid your spiritual life in very significant ways. It's a book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer, okay? It's a wonderful, wonderful book. In fact... Let me just uh, read you a few of the, uh, actually I'll just read from the back. Elizabeth Elliot, this book plainly shows us ordinary folks what it means to know God. Bill Hybels, I need a new edition of Knowing God, I've worn out my original copy. R.C. Sproul, a masterpiece by a master theologian. Chuck Swindoll, for years I've been asked to list the top 20 Christian, my top 20 Christian books. Knowing God has been on that list since the mid-1970s. This is a fantastic book. Knowing God, J.I. Packer. I'll lay it out here on the stage if you want to come and snap a picture of it so you'll know what to, what to order on good old Amazon. And uh, so, commit to reading a book that will help you draw closer to God this year. That is a great one to read. For getting closer to each other, I have a very easy recommendation. And I hope that every single one of you will take this recommendation. Attend Wednesday night's dinner for everyone. Was that Heather giving an amen? Thank you, Heather. Unless there is something you cannot get off your schedule, work, school, a family reunion, whatever it is, unless there's something like that, everyone who calls VCC home should attend the dinner for everyone. You should not sit at home and binge Netflix from 6.30 to 9 p.m. on Wednesday. You should come to dinner for everyone. Why? Why? Because Brian wants to boss you around? No, it is because these events are offered to us to help facilitate getting to know each other better. 
spending time with our family. And so they should be prioritized that way. So commit. Dinner for everyone. Let us know you're coming. Sign up. Sign up. Make the time commitment. And here's something else I'm appealing to us all. When we arrive on Wednesday, I'm appealing to you to invite people into your circle who aren't always a part of your circle. It's fine for you to sit with your friends. That's fine. I'm not telling you you can't sit with your already established friends. But invite someone else to sit with you and your friends. There should be no time when uh, somebody you're unfamiliar with is sitting at the next table over with no one around them where they're not invited over to join you. And in fact, don't even let them get to the table to begin with. Stop them mid-walk toward the table and say, come sit with us. All right. Attend dinner for everyone. For getting closer to the lost, I have another book recommendation for you. If you haven't read it before, which if you've been a part of our church for three or four years, I hope you have. Uh, but if you're newer than that, you, you probably have not. So whether you've read it or you haven't, I encourage you to read the book, Tell Someone, by Greg Laurie. It's a wonderful book written by a man who has personally led hundreds, I believe thousands of people uh, to Jesus Christ. It is worth your time to read it. It is worth your time to try to use some of the counsel it gives to improve your, your own efforts at reaching people who are far from God. Okay? So, get closer to God. Read Knowing God. Get closer to others. Come to dinner for everyone. Get closer to the lost. Read this book. I would also encourage you in the area of getting close to the lost. Identify somebody you know this week that is far from Jesus and pray for them every single day this week. And I would even encourage you to consider inviting them to church next Sunday. The start of a new series is a great opportunity to invite someone to church. In a series on the book of Galatians, you can be certain that they're going to hear the gospel message when they come. So invite people to church. We should number our days so that we gain a heart of wisdom. We have to make good use of our time so that we can avoid the pain of regret. We must stop being hearers only and start being doers of the word. Let's stand. 